We may never know the full extent of what the UFO cover-up has cost the United States in terms of excluded brain power, passion, expertise, and life experiences that might have been brought to bear generations ago. From time to time, I'll be dusting off the old devoid archives to take stock of what we've lost. Here's one from 2009. The neighbors at his apartment complex in Titusville started getting suspicious. He hadn't been seen conducting his daily rituals, most conspicuously feeding stray cats in three days, but the car was still there. He lived alone, widowed eight years earlier. Three days worth of newspapers cluttered his doorstep, unanswered knocks at the door. When the authorities barged in, they found John Rice in bed, alone. A cardiac event, according to the coroner. He was 74, no local survivors. Relatives from Ohio, including his niece, Charlotte Rocker, came to Florida to clear out his things. She always called him J-Bob. For 38 years, J. Bob worked across the Indian River as an electrical engineer at Kennedy Space Center. He left fingerprints on some of NASA's most celebrated planetary probes, Viking, Voyager, Cassini, Galileo. After that, he shifted over to contract work for expendable launch vehicles. His last stop was the Analex Corporation, where he drew a part-time paycheck. Funny how you can work with people for years and years and never know who they are. When J. Bob's family visited his desk at KSC to collect personal items, they got to talking with his colleagues. And that's when Charlotte understood just how rigidly compartmentalized her uncle's life was. They had great admiration for him. They liked working with him, recalled Charlotte. And they were quite amazed to find out he had such an interest in UFOs. They had no idea. He kept it to himself. The family studied the will, halfway expecting to see a good chunk of it earmarked for charity, but there was only one category he specified should go elsewhere, said Charlotte from her home in Warren, Ohio. He wanted you to have his UFO stuff. John Rice I wouldn't know him if I saw him. Little more than a commiserating voice on the phone every now and then, once upon a time. His life's consuming passion, this great white whale, concealed from co-workers, now bundled into seven cardboard boxes, most of them quite heavy. Charlotte got a glimpse when she was 12. She was with a couple of friends when, against a cloudless blue sky, this startling orange cigar-shaped thing with a single bright spotlight dropped in from out of nowhere, rotated 360 degrees above the treetops before zipping away. She mentioned what she saw to J. Bob over the phone, and J. Bob started asking her all sorts of questions and even asked her to sketch it out for him. But we never really had a serious conversation about why he was so interested, said Charlotte. The only thing I can figure is he must have had an encounter himself. I just don't know. Some of the boxes are tight as bricks and packed with related books, some rare, cloth-bound, exuding those incomparable, musty aromas of history and neglect. 
he compiled albums of newspaper clippings starting with the 1950s. He saved stacks of niche magazines, as well as copies of the quarterly Cleveland UFO Journal, which he edited from 1965 until it folded in 1970. Admittedly, he wrote, technical type reports do not always make for the most interesting reading. However, this publication has tried to maintain the factual approach to the subject of which the Cleveland Ufology Project has adhered to over the years. J. Bob kept spiral notebooks of his interviews with eyewitnesses, as well as scads of form letter citing reports. One account contains a sequence of five black and white photos taken in 1967 with a Kodak 104 Instamatic camera. The shooter captured a domed disc as it flirted above the winter bones of a deciduous forest in Ohio. He saved official NASA booklets with titles like An Analysis of the Extraterrestrial Life Detection Problem, as well as NICAP reports with titles like Electromagnetic Effects Associated with UFOs and in 1968, while the University of Colorado was wrapping up its whitewash that would end America's official inquiry into the phenomenon, Rice was reading a RAND Corporation analysis calling for just the opposite, a vigorous centralized database stewarded by a multidisciplinary scientific board. We see a wide, almost exasperating range of reported phenomenology the RAND document stated. It included a detailed accounting of what surely made Rice's eyes light up. Quote, disturbances in practically every kind of device, radio, TV, auto ignition, aircraft electronics, compass, magnetometer, magnetic automobile speedometer, etc. End quote. Rice scoured the news and the trades for UFO-related electromagnetic evidence worldwide. From Ankara to Council Bluffs, from Darmstadt to Sarasota, J. Bob compressed the reports by date, time, and location into tediously typewritten index cards that filled two trays. The accounts of stalled engines, sputtering radio signals, cockpit failures, and power outages trace back to 1945. Rice quit filing in 1991, even though he had space reserved for entries up to 2003. Maybe he sensed the futility of it all. Or maybe he had all the information he needed. You know something, Charlotte said. J. Bob started out as an atheist, and then he became an agnostic. And finally he just said, this didn't all happen by itself. There has to be a supreme being that created all this. If J. Bob ever ventured a theory about what he was onto, he never told Charlotte, nor, evidently, his buddies at NASA. John Rice made his statement with seven boxes. This is Life in Jonestown. I'm Billy Cox.